on today's episode of Life Embodied. I think in general for women, it's being encouraged supposedly to not be angry and to smile and just be pretty. And mm -hmm. I think for women, the most beneficial thing for them should be to be more angry. Mm. Because there is a lot of things that we need to be angry about. For sure. So being on your period is actually, or being in that PMS stage is actually a time where it's even recommended to, yeah, listen to that rage and respect it and work with it. Mm -hmm. Again, it's not culturally appropriate for you to be angry, but I think the world can really gain from it. Welcome to Life Embodied, where we explore how an embodiment practice can support us in meeting the challenges of life. How can we surf the waves of life deeply anchored in the safety of our bodies? How can we learn to trust our capacity to be with intense sensations and emotions? How can we cultivate body awareness and why does it matter? Episodes include interviews with experts and practitioners that bring their knowledge and passion and share practical tips for your everyday life. I am your host, Katharina Alf. Thank you for joining us and enjoy the conversation. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of Life Embodied. My guest today is Daphna Mavor. She's a practitioner of complementary and alternative medicine based in Tel Aviv, Israel. She supports people that struggle with psychosomatic diseases, food intolerances, and especially illnesses connected to the menstrual cycle, such as endometriosis or premenstrual dysphoric disorder, PMDD, and fertility issues. Her academic background is in biology, and she holds a Master of Science in Epidemiology, Preventative Medicine, and Public Health. The tools she uses in her work with clients include the IPEC method, which is short for Integrated Physical Emotional Clearing, Kinesiology, and Acupressure. So, welcome, Daphna. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're taking the time. Yeah, the first question that I ask my guests is, what is it like being you Today, maybe specifically, but also in general, what is the physical experience of being your body? Hmm, that's a nice question. Um, I'm on my period now, so that is what's going on with my physical body. Um, I had two kids in a pretty short amount of time, so I didn't so this is my second period in a few years. Oh. So it's... Uh, Welcome nice. back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so it's nice and, uh, yeah, nice to be back. <laughs> I missed it. Um, uh -huh. uh, it was also surprisingly painful. I haven't mm -hmm. remembered how painful it is. And it was painful to experience a period while I'm with kids so I can't really just take the time to myself. So it was also challenging to have both. Mm. Yeah, life. 
<laughs> and what is the part that you missed about it? Oh, everything. I don't really know how to put it into words. Just everything. Um, the whole, like, wondering if it's going to be today or tomorrow, and then, you know, using the the, the products. Um, <laughs> Um, even the pain, like the, well, the pain mm. and also the sensation of that. Yeah. Everything that's going on down there, the, the movements of the mm. uterus and of the vulva and just, uh, yeah, everything, mm. um, the look of the blood itself. Mm -hmm. It's, it's such a different kind of blood. It has such a different, um, aura to it. Yeah. And also I was thinking that, um, well, so my youngest is eight months. So I was also thinking that I'm shedding a lot of things that were building up from his pregnancy and only now they're shedding. So I assumed that the pain was related to that as well, because there was mm. a lot of physical and emotional, like letting go of a lot of tissue of, of uh, more than a year. Yeah. Wow! Yeah. yeah, that sounds like that sounds like a very cleansing experience. In yeah, a way. it's. Mm. I believe, and that's what I work with. That menstruation is a cleansing process, anyway. It's even beyond cleansing. It's 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 just like processing everything that's been happening, growing my baby and the birth, and uh, letting go of, of of that and the pregnancy and the placenta and. So it all happened in the past, but it also like almost re-happened this past few days mm -hmm. because this tissue was awakened again and let go. Mm. So it's um, such a, a wonderful opportunity. Mm, yeah, thank you for sharing. <laughs> what a what a way to lead us into this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Good timing. Yeah. <laughs> I want to I want to tell the listeners how we met because it it uh it was yeah. a very special moment for me and um influenced my work immensely. <laughs> even though it was such a short moment. <laughs> yeah. And uh yeah, so it happened Oh, this was way pre-pandemic. I think it was, uh, it's almost five years ago, maybe four and a was half. Was it? Yeah. Because I just started out as a practitioner. I think I was, I was about to be done with my studies and I was really, I was really at the very, very beginning. Oh. And I, I worked with a woman for the first time who, uh, who had just had her endometriosis diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And she was in, in shock, basically, about the diagnosis of being, quote-unquote, like chronically ill and having to deal with this issue now. And yeah. all the news that come with it, like, oh, what about my fertility? But does it even matter? And ah. And this is mainly what we worked on. Like, we worked on the scars, um, And we worked on rebuilding her trust. 
but she didn't really get better. Like she was still in pain. And, and I was really wondering like, what is going on? And before I met her, I never heard of endometriosis. And I, yeah, so I was really like curious and also a bit frustrated that I couldn't figure out how to help her. And um, then I met you and mm-hmm. I met you through my teach my bodywork teacher, Sophie. I think you two were having a lunch date and I was meeting her after and I arrived while you were still there, but there were like only, it felt like two minutes that you were still there before you left. I think it was just two minutes. Yeah. And, and Sophie said, this is Daphna and Daphna, she works with uh, endometriosis. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, this is my moment. Then I said, okay, so just a word or two, what is important with endometriosis? And then you said, transgenerational trauma, and you disappeared. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, well, this sounds woo-woo. What the hell is transgenerational trauma? Like, I don't know, Um, because I also hadn't hadn't heard of that yet. Mm. And then I met up again with my client and I told her like, yeah, so I met this woman and she said transgenerational trauma and I don't know what I think about it, but you know, what the hell, does it ring a bell with you? Like anything coming up? And she was like, yeah. Um, So my grandmother experienced some stuff and then she told me that story that I'm not going to share here because it's her story, but she told of the intense sexual trauma her grandma experienced. And while she told that story, I could feel my own womb contracting mm. and like the the physical and the emotional pain resonated so strongly in my body. Mm. And I was like, and, and I don't even know that woman. Yeah. And, and I can feel it so much. And, Yeah, that's the collective feminine pain. Yeah, it was such a strong experience. And I was like, okay, so that's definitely a first very real layer of transgenerational trauma. Like my body physically reacts to this. And um, yeah, and she told that story. And before that session, she would always almost fall asleep when I would touch her lower belly. Like she couldn't... Mm -hmm be present in her lower belly or she couldn't stay awake while I was paying attention to her lower belly. And in that session, for the first time, she, she stayed present mm. and she really could, se- like, could connect with her lower belly, could stay in there while I was touching her. And she kind of, in a way, reclaimed her own fertility. Wow. And then for a long time, the pain was gone. Mm. And I was, I was flabbergasted. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I really started to research and to dig into this whole topic. Because I was like, what the hell? Everybody needs to know about this. Yeah. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much for this super valuable impulse. You've been in my mind since, and I'm so glad that we get to talk. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to. Um, that's the topic that I 
I feel strongly about that. Yeah, talking about it as much as possible about the link between, well, just not only endometriosis and PMDD, but uh, just general menstrual issues, even uh, polycystic ovaries. I believe almost all gynecological issues are related to past generations and are related to transgenerational trauma. And even if it's not trauma that is directly from your ancestors, uh, just the general collective feminine pain, just like you described that she mm -hmm. described the trauma that her grandmother went through and you felt it in your womb. Yeah. Because the collective feminine pain is very, it's strong, first of all, because we are all women and we all really feel each other. But also because there is a lot of pain. Women have went through a lot of trauma in, hmm. in the past and as well as in the present. So the, the collective pain is very thick. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe that when we work with our periods and we learn how to digest and release that pain, we also do it not only for ourselves, but for past generations and for all women in general and for the collective feminine pain. And I truly believe that this is a way to bring world peace mm. <laughs> eventually. Mm -hmm. um, when I use the pain that I feel during my period and I help release and shed it, I release the pain that has been accumulated there for centuries or thousands of years. So I'm kind of doing that energetic work for all women. And I think that's why it's painful. You know, like some practitioners or some people will say it's not supposed to be painful. I think it's the opposite. I think it is very painful. And it's unfortunately for a reason. Women have gone through immense trauma in the past just even look at you know witch hunts which have only happened just a few generations ago uh, we don't know it consciously but our womb knows it and there is a lot of pain and a lot of grief that needs to be shed and it does so through all of our uteruses so i truly believe that endometriosis women and pmdd women are the wisest because these are the women that like unconsciously can't even ignore the pain like it floods them every month that collective pain that collective feminine pain it floods them every month and every month they just can't not feel it you know but then they're met with um, western society which tells them that they should perform at work every day the same and they're supposed to just be normal, normal meaning like be more masculine in your behavior. And it, it's not synchronized with their natural cycle and natural synchronicity. So uh, it clashes and then it becomes even more painful. And um, like with PMDD, PMDD is, um, let's just explain for a second. It's a condition that's kind of like a very, very severe uh, state of PMS, meaning these are women who would feel immense mood swings for almost the entire 
cycle. Uh, usually it's about 10 days or two weeks. Uh, it could be even more, uh, up to even suicidal thoughts. And it is related to the menstrual cycle because there would be a time where they would feel a relief. And that's even more exhausting because it would just be, for example, one week or a few days where they would finally feel um, like clarity in their... Mm -hmm. um, and that would be around ovulation then? Um, well, for each woman, it's different, but mm -hmm. it is related to the menstrual cycle, meaning mm -hmm. it's, it's repetitive. Mm -hmm. And they're usually being told that they're crazy and that this is a um, psychiatric disease. Yeah. Um, and I think, well, I, I see it differently. I think that these are just women who suddenly feel the wave of that collective pain. They can't ignore it, but it's just not befitting with the Western schedule. <laughs> um, uh, so they need to block it and go, you know, eight o'clock in the morning, go to work, but they can't. Yeah. Yeah. And then just this clash, like even intensify all their emotions and their sensations. And then they go to a, a psychiatrist, which tell them that they have a, a psychiatric condition and it just intensifies. And mm -hmm. if only we could um, create a space where they could just cry and scream and do whatever they need and release that pain, it would be gone in a matter of hours. But we can't, you know. Um, and I think it's the same for endometriosis. If only we could have a red tent again, as as it used to be, and we would be a group of women all helping each other with the pain. Mm. Um, kind of like where you know when you have a doula uh, that helps you give birth. Um, so if only we could have someone accompany you or a, a group of women accompany you and everybody, you know, shedding that pain together and everybody uh, encouraging each other that it's okay to feel that pain and we're all in this together. Mm. Um, I think it could be a really um, healing process. Yeah. Wow. Okay, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. So first of all, how does the pain get there? Like, I mean, there, there are many layers, I guess, mm -hmm. to how transgenerational trauma or collective pain manifests. There are more scientific ones there are more like things that we experience perceive but that are not necessarily um researched yet but yeah can you maybe explain a bit like the, mm -hmm. the different levels of how how does this kind of trauma manifest in a body today yeah um so I usually like give two examples. Uh, the first one is um, I always like to talk about the link, the, the generational link of the eggs that we have in our uh, ovaries. And then I also really like to talk about mitochondrial DNA. So I'll start with the, with, with the eggs, if it's okay. Sure. So the egg is something that three that is built throughout three generations. 
um, of the of the uh, maternal ancestors, and I'll try to like give an example through myself. So I I was pregnant with my daughter, and uh, well, just that was 2019. So I built all of her organs in my womb, right? I built her mm -hmm. uh, hands and legs and kidneys and liver and ovaries. And in mm -hmm. the ovaries were her eggs. Um, so all of her eggs were created in 2019. One of these eggs will become my grandchild. Yeah. So I created the egg that it will one day be manifested to my grandchild. So the eggs are actually created three generations before they're manifested. And that's 50% of our DNA. So for example, my grandmother was in the Holocaust uh, and she created the egg that made me just four years after the Holocaust ended. Uh, so even this is something like a direct link that we can see. Yeah. Um, the egg is some is like it's, it's just a very wise cell that sits there for a very long time, absorbing everything and manifesting after these uh, on the third generation. Yeah. Um, Did you know is, is, is there any so, is there any research about this yet? Like how? Exactly, yeah, so, the impact so, inscribes in a way? Yeah, so I'll get to that uh, in, okay, a, in okay. a minute. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a lot of research about transgenerational trauma, and they have seen, like, they were able to measure the trauma uh, being passed through generations. Uh, I just wanted to um, uh, point out the difference between the egg and the sperm. That, sure, um, like, yeah. as we said, the egg is, like, a very wise cell the biggest cell in in humans you can actually see it with your naked eye it's mm -hmm. kind of like um it's about the size of the dot at the end of a sentence if you uh -huh. you know write something with a pen so you can actually see it with your wow. naked eye it's yeah huge <laughs> uh, yeah and it's just one cell and it's uh -huh. packed with a lot of dna mm -hmm. uh, and also a lot of mitochondrial dna which i'll get to uh, in a minute Mm -hmm. uh, for the sperm, it's exactly the opposite. It's just the beautiful polarity of life. Sperm mm -hmm. is being created every sixty days, so every two months, and mm -hmm. the and it's it's destroyed after uh, two months. So it's like very quick. It's the smallest cell in humans. It's about really? ten thousand times smaller than the egg. Ten thousand times smaller, <laughs> and you need both of them to create a human. So you need yeah. the egg, which has been sitting there for generations, and it's huge. And you need the sperm, which is tiny, <laughs> and it's uh, 60 days old, and it swims fast, uh, which is kind of like, you know, men and women. Men are like fast, like, yeah, 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 come on, come on. <laughs> and women need to think about things, and they need to process, you know. Um, that's, what I'm, that's what I mean when I'm talking about but then we move to the um, modern culture, which is very masculine and it's quick and it needs to get things done and like, you know, tick, 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 tick. Um, and it's not befitting with our cycle. Yeah. So um, they've done a lot of research about transgenerational trauma. It's in the, it's all under a field called epigenetics which mm -hmm. is um, 
a very fascinating field because in the past they believed that our genes is like kind of a fixed puzzle that we come with and there is no way to change it. So like if you're born with brown eyes, you're born with brown eyes and that's it. But they've started to see that there are actually interesting molecular packages inside our genes, which are very flexible. So they can help change or they can help us adapt very quickly to any changes in our environment, which is actually very important. If you think about it, let's say, you know, there's a, a rabbit that realizes that there have been a few years with much less rain and it needs to pass that information to her children. So there is specific molecules which are wrapped or unwrapped differently to kind of help bring that message that, by the way, there's a drought, so prepare. Evolutionary, it makes sense. So that if there is something that would cause stress, I need to pass that information to my uh, offsprings. And they've seen that this is actually also done in humans, only... For us, the stress in the past centuries is more emotional stress because of traumas. One of the most famous examples that they give is about a huge hunger period that happened in the Netherlands during the Second World War. Mm -hmm. So they saw that mothers that experienced you know, this massive hunger during the war, that they were, we assume that they passed this information to their children because their children still behaved like they were malnourished, even though they weren't. And what's interesting is that this was also being passed to the next generation. So the next generation also had a malnourishment as well as they showed metabolic disorders. So two generations after the mothers experienced hunger, it was still felt. Um, another very famous study that was done again, on Holocaust survivors. And they saw that Holocaust survivors and their children all had different in the, uh, in the chemistry of their blood. So receptors to stress hormones were more sensitive to the children of Holocaust survivors, meaning they react differently to stress. They've also done a lot of uh, studies on animals because, uh, well, uh, you know, Shorter we, generations. We, yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, we don't have enough yeah. generations to look at after the Second World War. Yeah. So, like, they've done a lot of uh, studies in mice where they mm -hmm. put the, the mother mouse under stress uh, or that they put the offsprings on stress. Uh, the way they did it is, like, they take the mother, so it's unpredictable when the mother will be there and when, she, and when they will be separated. Uh, mm -hmm. by the mother and they saw that three and even four generations uh, later the mice still had depressive behaviors the male mice still uh, were uh, more risk takers uh -huh. uh, so yeah um wow so this is something that has been studied a lot and it's it's been shown it's been proven it's fascinating and mm -hmm. it's very logical even when you think about it that traumas that our ancestors went through are still felt mm -hmm. um, in our blood, in our chemistry, and as well as in our womb. Mm -hmm. The womb is such an emotional 
organ and it's an organ that builds a lot of tissue every cycle we build um, a tissue that is 10 times bigger than it was just a few weeks ago because after we shed all the blood uh, it, it could be even one millimeter thick and then after two weeks it would be 10 millimeters thick and it's the way it sheds is not in a symmetrical way it's not like every month you grow 10 millimeters and then you shed 10 millimeters. It's so like every month you grow and then some of it gets shed in the left side of the womb and, and the right side uh, still uh, doesn't. So, and then the next month, yeah, you, you got really? one. Really? I didn't know Yeah, it, it's not symmetrical. Ah. So at some point you're actually even shedding something that's been stuck there since you were 14, for example. So when we are like being suddenly flooded with emotions every time we get our period it's a lot of tissue that has been there for who knows how long or it could have been there since you were an embryo another interesting thing uh, for already talking science is that it's been shown that a woman that she's on her period all of her senses are a bit more dull meaning her sense of smell, hearing, and sight is a bit less sharp, meaning it's kind of like we're, you know how women always describe that they have a brain fog? Yeah. Uh, so it's real. The sensory mm -hmm. system is a bit more like closed off. And I think it's also why the red tent did used to exist, because this was a time for ancient people that it wasn't safe to just be out there because they, the woman wouldn't be able to smell, hear, and see the lion approaching. <laughs> and all women were all also synchronized. Maybe that was also a reason that, like, let's put all women together uh, when their sensory system is not that sharp. Have Let's all of, all of us protect them, and they can all focus on shedding everything together and then coming out again and having their sensory system sharp. And I also personally believe that when all of our sensory system is, is a bit more dull or more closed off, that's when our channeling ability gets stronger. Like that brain fog is kind of us entering a different state of mind and a different energetic state of being. And this is a wonderful time to use to like go somewhere differently in your head and, and channel that collective feminine pain and shed it through through you. Yes. So this is about the three generations of the egg that we mm -hmm. um, discussed. Another topic that I really like to talk about is the mitochondrial DNA, which is, so in every one of our cells, we have uh, our own DNA, and then we also have yeah, a tiny structure in each of our cells, which is called mitochondria, and it has a different DNA. Mitochondria is what helps us uh, gain energy, like when you eat something mm -hmm. and then it gets somehow translated into energy. So the mitochondria does that. And uh, back in evolutionary times, the mitochondria used to be a different kind of um, cell or a different ki kind of creature that entered into our cells and kind of we developed a symbiosis with it. Mm -hmm. And that's what gives us energy. But because it's originally a different um, creature, it has different DNA. 
and the DNA um, is completely separated from our DNA. It, we just have it in each one of our cells. And the interesting thing about this creature, the mitochondria, is that we only receive it from the mother. So only from eggs, not the sperm. Oh, wow. I didn't yeah. know. Um, uh, because the, the egg comes with my, mitochondria. They both come with, but mm -hmm. when the sperm enters the egg, it drops all the mitochondria outside and only enters the human huh. DNA. Uh -huh. uh, we don't know why, but we see it in e every creature on Earth that the sperm mm -hmm. drops the mitochondria outside and only mm -hmm. enters the human, uh, the, the, yeah, the creature DNA. Mm -hmm. So we don't know why, but if it's happening throughout the animal world, it must be very important. Yeah, that it only comes from the mother and not the, uh -huh. um, and not the father, and the mitochondrial DNA changes very, very, very slowly. Like the mutation rate is so slow that you can actually use it as a clock. Because if we know that there is a mutation only once every, let's say, three thousand years, then you can actually use it as a clock to see when the first mitochondrial DNA um, of of women started to be, and this was actually done. They've shown that there was a woman that lived around 150,000 years ago in East Africa, that all of humans are uh, descendants of her. What? Yes. So she's called the mitochondrial Eve, um, like Adam and Eve. Uh, it doesn't mean that there weren't any humans or homo sapiens before, but that none of them survived. So all of the humans that exist... Uh, our descendants of her, that first woman in East Africa 150,000 years ago. Well, so, that's, that's crazy. That's <laughs> yeah. super crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and we all have her DNA. And now just think of what that DNA felt of women in the past 150,000 years ago. And all of us feel it, men and women, because even men received that DNA from their mother. They won't pass it mm -hmm. forward, but they received it from their mother. Mm -hmm. And again, we can all agree that women have went through a lot of trauma. And it's in our DNA. Yeah. And then we have a time every month where all of our sensory system is a bit like foggy. And this pain gets flooded up. And then it's no surprise that it's painful. Endometriosis is a condition where the cells of the uterus, for some reason, migrate to different areas of the body. Usually it would be in the pelvic or the um, uh, stomach area, but it could be even in the lungs or in rare cases, even in the brain. And the thing is that these cells still get the hormonal signal to bleed once a month. So... That's why it's very painful, because these are areas that bleed, even though they're not in the uterus. Yeah. Um, and just think of the symbolism of it, that there are women who bleed 
from so many different areas of their body every month. Yeah. And again, that's why it makes so sense that they're, they're still feeling, they're bleeding, they're still feeling the pain. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I really, I really feel like taking a very conscious breath. Like, yeah. um, there's, I think it's so crazy when we talk about these things or pay attention to them that there's this very scientific level of, yeah, and this is how information is passed on and why it also makes sense. And, but then I think there is something different resonating in the whole topic where you can, or at least that's how I experience it, that something resonates so deeply about this it feels it feels so true you know because it is there is this this level of what we definitely know about this and then there is this level that feels almost a bit like an interpretation or a, mm -hmm. or giving meaning to it in a way mm -hmm. But this giving meaning to it touches me so deeply, like it feels it feels so true to my heart. Yeah. This yeah. wisdom of please create space for me to hold yeah. the pain. Yeah. Please make it safe to to grief, to process, to like this is sacred. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I, I deeply, I deeply feel that this is true, and I experience it with with other women, and yeah, mostly women, but yeah, also other people that menstruate. Like really, this this mm. collective experience in it. Yeah, and um, I feel that this is where I struggle with because. Again, because there is this clash with the Western culture and we're not synchronized anymore. Even if we did create a red tent, we're, yeah. we're not synchronized anymore. We, we, it's not like all of us, when the moon is empty, can come together and shed the blood because one will be on the pill and one is, the, yeah, and... Yeah, and the light is just like in cities. The light is just so disturbing that you can't resonate with the moon. Because I yeah. think there, there's been a recent study that shows that yes, it is actually true. We do resonate with the moon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but we you, can't see it anymore. So yeah, it's yeah. it's a 28 day cycle because it's connected to the moon. It's yeah. uh, our biological clock, but we're not synchronized synchronized with it anymore. And also, we're not synchronized with each other because we can't you know just life and it's it's hard um and even if we were synchronized with each other where are the wise grandmothers who kind of teach you and show you from your first period how to work with it and mm. guiding you every period again and again that you're not crazy you're feeling yeah. pain it's normal yeah scream cry it's okay do it <laughs> Yeah, it's showing yeah. you also how to grieve, right? Yeah, it's an entire um, knowledge or or yeah package of wisdom that's been lost. Yeah. Um. 
so how do we how do we grieve? How do we help people to grieve? How do you help people to grieve? Um, I always try to uh, encourage women that first of all to try to take that time to themselves when they can. The wonderful thing about being on a period that it happens every month. So if you can't take time this month, you have next month. It's okay. <laughs> the a period happens about 400 to 500 times in our lifetimes. <clears throat> Depends, you know, on how many times a woman's been pregnant or uh, interestingly enough, women still feel pain even though they're on the pill when scientifically they're not supposed to because they haven't ovulated and they have no thick uterine wall to shed, but they still feel the pain, meaning this pain is not just about the, the physicality of the uterine lining. Even the pill can't unsynchronize the, the synchronicity and the, connect, the connection to that collective feminine pain. So even a woman on the pill can do that. So I always encourage women to try to find the time, and if they can't do it this month, then they always have next month. Uh, for each woman, that special time is differently is different. Um, for one woman, it would be exactly when she's starting to bleed. For another woman, it would be the PMS time. So it could be you know two days before her period starts, or even ten days, or whenever. You know, for mm -hmm. every woman, there is that time where she suddenly is struck with this wave of. Oh God! <laughs> so that is the time mm -hmm. um, to <laughs> close the door, be with yourself, um, maybe put on some music, light a candle to you know focus your attention. To start by taking really nice deep breaths um, when you're focusing uh, not only on the inhale but on the exhale because. You're shedding from your uterus. You're shedding energetically from your uterus if your period hasn't started yet. And you're also shedding from your mouth. So from your upper openings and lower openings. So you start by taking really nice, deep sighs, mm. uh, a sigh from your upper uh, lips and from your lower lips. So a really mm. nice. <sighs> yeah. And. So let's imagine again that, you know, you're uh, with a closed door. No one can hear you. You can do whatever you want. There's a candle. There's a nice music. And you're taking really nice <sighs> sigh. Also, another thing that I like to encourage a woman to do is to use that, this funny noise uh, that I'll, um, I'll demonstrate. <laughs> you know, to do like this horse sound with your lips because the lower lips are connected to the upper lips. So when you release from your upper lips this, when you sigh, it also helps to relax the lower lips. The positions are to be either in a cat-cow position, as in yoga poses, I mean, or any position where it's working with gravity and not against gravity. So even if you need to lay flat, so laying on your stomach and not on your back, because we want the lower openings to be looking downwards. And then I really encourage the women to just move because the uterus really, really likes to move. 
So imagine a woman like sitting on all fours and then moving from that to laying on her back to doing a pigeon pose, if you know what that is in yoga, to laying on all fours again, all while she's sighing deeply and doing this sound and allowing whatever weird images to come up, even if they don't know what oh, wait, why am I thinking of my boyfriend for, since I was 14 suddenly? Or why am I thinking of my uh, boyfriend's grandmother or whatever? You know, whatever needs to come up and to uh, allow any cry or any um, shout or any weird noise to come up um, and to just go with it. And this is something really so, yeah, healing also, somehow being able not to be afraid of the pain. Sometimes the pain can be so big, that uh, so huge that you don't know if you'll be able to cross to the other side. Um, the physical pain or the emotional pain, it could be almost overwhelming, but still go with it and cry whatever needs to cry out. And eventually you will come out of the other side. It's yeah. almost like what I'm describing now is kind of like almost a session of a woman in labor. Yeah. Uh, and being on, in contractions. And there is a time during labor where a woman, and this is something that's being des described by every woman, that there is a time when a woman is in labor that she feels she's going to die. Yeah. Usually it's when the woman is eight centimeters dilated. So something happens there where she feels she's going to die uh, because the pain or the something is so big yeah. that it almost feels like I can't, but you can. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it is really that that the same um, um, transmitter that is released when we die gets released mm. during childbirth. Like there yeah? is a moment in childbirth where oh, wow. DMT is released, and it's a transmitter that we also that the brain releases when we die. So wow. it actually feels like dying. And it's kind of the same when a woman's out of period, especially endo-women, endometriosis mm -hmm. women, that the mm -hmm. pain is so big, it's, yeah. it's so much that they feel uh, they can't. And you can. And I know it's a lot to ask, but you can. If you, if you don't have the energy for it because, you know, you've had a tough month, then it's okay, you know. Take a painkiller. Let's let's work with it next month, or let's work it next with it next year. It doesn't matter. That's why we have this opportunity every month. But if you are curious and and you want to see how to get into the zone and how to work with it, then um, that's my suggestion: to take the time to yourself, to play music, light a candle, be on all fours, sigh deeply, do these sounds cry a lot whatever needs to cry out go with the images that pop into your head and try to explore them and see what's going on here and mm -hmm. and like travel with the wave yeah and you can if you want you can do it every month um mm -hmm. eventually if you do this process let's say it would take two hours maybe which is eventually shorter than being in this annoying pain for days. Yeah. Do you experience that women then get better? 
depends on what's our definition of better. You know, it's going to be painful next month as well. I'm just like giving suggestions of how to work with the pain and how to encourage you not to feel crazy that you're being flooded with these emotional and physical pain. But it's going to be painful next month. There is a lot of pain, a lot of collective pain that needs to be shed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just giving suggestions of how to work with it uh, so that we can, yeah, transform the pain into growth. But it's still going to be painful. Yeah, but then again, I think if we if we allow pain to move through us, it also lightens or softens or loosens it grip in a way that if we give yeah. into the pain that it that the experience of it changes quite dramatically yeah um as opposed to when we contract with the with the pain and um resist it yeah i think it's kind of like you know the way we expect labor to be it's going to be painful and the next birth of your second child is also going to be painful we're just Mm. giving you tools on how to work with the pain and transform it into an empowering healing sensation where you come out of it stronger Mm -hmm. but the next birth is also going to be painful yeah (laughs) Yeah, but I think this is a very important aspect, right? The aspect of empowerment, that yeah. it's not its not just about pain and grief and we get to experience pain and grief and pain and grief and pain and grief, but there is as if a treasure within it or behind it or how, how do you relate to, to this empowerment that comes birthed with the pain? I think, first of all, there is a reason that we feel pain. Pain is the most effective way to catch our attention. Like, for example, you know, if you walk barefoot and, you know, you're looking at the clouds and you're um, staring at the trees and you're thinking what a wonderful day it is. And then you're uh, stepping on, you know, or something that like gets something um, spiky. Yeah. <laughs> no matter how beautiful the clouds are, you need to take that spike out now. Yeah. And that's the purpose of pain. It draws your attention to right here and right now. Um, yeah. And same goes with birth. You know, if birth wouldn't be painful, then you would want to, you know, start um, doing the dishes or something where you can't, <laughs> you need to focus. Mm-hmm. And uh, same goes for menstrual pain. It's just um, like a, eventually a wonderful technique to draw your attention to right here and right now, to the here and now. Mm -hmm. Um, But then how do we transform that pain to feel empowered? And when we do this process that we just described, I think eventually you realize that, wow, you have such a powerful tool to channel with your ancestors and so much wisdom. Mm. I remember that I, when I just met my partner, the father of my kids, we were spending time on a, we were in the Dead Sea uh, camping. 
and I just got my period. And we had this beautiful moment where I allowed him to be with me when I did this process. Mm. And suddenly I had images of his grandmother while I was doing this process. And I realized that he can't release her pain. So she's like being channeled through me. And, you know, I'm, I'm in like a weird state, weird zone. I, so suddenly I, I'm, and I didn't, I never met her, you know, I only know him for a few weeks. <laughs> um, and it, afterwards I felt so empowered that um, I, I, apparently I have channeling abilities. <laughs> uh-huh. um, yeah, I think it, um, yeah. it touches on something that I, that I experience connected to pain, like not only menstrual pain, my, my menstruation, fortunately, isn't very painful for me, mm-hmm. but uh, I have other pains. <laughs> and, uh, um, and also emotional pain or heartache, heart- breaking heart. Yeah. Is that really the, that if we give in to pain and not resist it, that it has this huge connective quality like it's it's such a gateway into compassion yeah with every creature with every suffering creature um it also connects us so much to what we care for deeply what is important to us what we value what our heart loves so dearly and yeah so i think it makes sense that the that pain connected to our womb really has the has the potential to connect us to all women in a way. Yeah. And that's also beautiful to be connected in that way. Yeah. I think also it's a lot to ask to like <laughs> yes. you know to use the pain because pain is hard. And it's hard for all of us. And we all have an instinct where we feel, when we feel pain, we all have an instinct of like, "Ah," right? Where we're actually cutting off our breath. It's for some reason, it doesn't make sense, but we all have that instinct. Yeah. Um, But it's not beneficial for us to uh, like stop breathing when the pain comes to be like, oh, yeah. we want it to be the opposite. We want to take a good sigh, a mm. good breath mm-hmm. when we feel the pain. But it's non-instinctual. So it's a lot to ask to, yeah, just be with the pain, go with it. It's, it, it takes a lot of courage. It's mm-hmm. frightening. It's terrifying. But if we do somehow find the opportunity that we just so happen to or have the ability and the courage and the yeah the ability to do it right now mm-hmm. and to go with it and to uh, uh, ride that uh, wave of pain it can be transformed into everything that you described the compassion the empowerment the wis- the inner wisdom the connecting to all of our f- feminine ancestors mm-hmm. it's uh, it, it can be really wonderful Mm-hmm. the 
this this touches a bit on a on a different layer of where you know yes transgenerational trauma is in our genes actually we can we can witness it that way but there's also this layer of learned patterns you know that if you if you grow up with a mother that disconnects from her lower belly for whatever reasons you will pick mm -hmm. it up yeah you will you will learn that this is how you relate to lower bellies yeah and your body will learn from hers and there is a lot of there is a lot of collective patterns as well like mm -hmm. yeah sucking in the sucking in of the belly for example yeah. <laughs> like, i don't know I don't, I don't know a woman who hasn't struggled with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, like all this, these, these picked up patterns create a lot of tension and a lot of con contraction around the, the area of the womb, of the lower belly, the vulva, even the anus, the, the pelvic floor. And this is something that we can also work with, right? To learn to let go of these kind of contractions, of the avoidance, like to, to really... Um, be at home in our in our lower belly in our pelvis, and this might already be something that eases the process of release. Yeah, because we're not like contracting around it, and then the womb can move more easily and more free. There is so much avoidance in this area, and so much collective shame you said that if we had a mother that we learned to it's just it's funny because it's not an if yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like every woman almost none of us has even seen our vulva you know take a mirror and look mm. just imagine if there would be i don't know your knee that you never saw you think it's disgusting the smell mm -hmm. and you never saw it Mm -hmm. the avoidance like that's such a um quick step to diseases <laughs> so how to disease yeah <laughs> avoid uh, and we all avoid um like as we mentioned you know if only we'd have the the wise grandmothers to show us but th this is um th that's this is a knowledge that's been lost so it's also not our mother's fault and not their mother's fault. It's just, it's a knowledge that's been lost. Yeah. And we're a generation who is starting to like reinvestigate our well-being. This is one of the steps to start making peace mm -hmm. with this area, the entire area of the pelvis. And we need to make peace about something that's been avoided for so long, for centuries so it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of pain to process. But yeah, even taking a mirror and looking, where do I pee from actually? Where's that? <laughs> um, how does it look like? Mm -hmm. um, to make peace with it, to not see it as a disgusting, smelly area that's avoided. Mm -hmm. um, to show our kids, to show our daughters. Mm -hmm. Another really beautiful exercise that I like to give to women uh, that have vulva diseases, candida or vaginal infections and stuff to mm -hmm. uh, go outside somehow where they're alone um, 
um, in nature and sunbathe that area. Show it the sun already. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look at it. Yeah. Hmm. It's great. It creates a lot of joy for me when you talk about it. Like <laughs> <that>. <laughs> yeah. It's an area that's supposed to feel joy. Yeah. yeah that's our second chakra. It's uh, the, the, the sexual chakra. It's supposed to feel joy, but it's covered with a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of hiding, and a lot of avoidance, especially for women. Mm -hmm. Men are um, more encouraged to, you know, or they're more uh, not discouraged to touch this area. Yeah, for sure. Uh, from childhood. Yeah. So maybe we can also, you know, encourage uh, the listeners to also use a mirror uh, on a regular basis, not just once. Mm. Every once in a while to take a mirror and look. Mm -hmm. uh, investigate how that looks um, and to also sunbathe that area. Hmm. Uh, to start showing it the light, feeling proud. Yeah. Yeah, and I know so many women. I mean, I haven't I haven't given birth yet, but I know so many women that after giving birth, they had real difficulties to reconnect with their vulva because it might have it might have torn and, and now there are scars. It might look different, it might feel different, and of course, in the beginning, it's it might be super sensitive and not pleasant to touch, and like, uh, and that it's really a process to reconnect after giving birth. The place changed so much. Yeah. And I think this is this is something that we're also collectively missing in a way, like this this initiation of the of the body that has given birth as something super sacred. Come on. I mean, yeah. what's more sacred than that? Crying out loud. And to to honor it and to honor every scar and every change like yes this is this is not making you any less of anything like this is proof of you giving birth yeah it's and it's your body you own it you can look it's your right to to know your body deeply yeah it is there's um, there is one thing that I would like to ask you, um, because yes, there is pain and there is grief, but there's also rage, right? Like many women, yeah. especially in the premenstrual days, yeah. really experience a lot of rage. Like they're yeah. like, Phew. um, how do you, how do you relate to this or how do you also work with it? I always like to encourage women that their rage is real. Mm -hmm. uh, because th th what happens is that they won't feel anger or rage and then it's being covered by but you shouldn't you shouldn't be angry you should be nice and, and quiet mm -hmm. and, and just mm -hmm. smile you're just, you're just overreacting yeah. it's just your period yeah. <laughs> um, like one of the most insulting things that can happen is that when you're having a, a fight with your boyfriend for example for him to ask are you going to get your period yeah right yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> It's not that the rage or that anger or that frustration that you feel isn't real. It's the opposite. It is real. It's just now is the time where you can't not notice it. Mm -hmm. So use it. Mm -hmm. I think in general for women, 
it's being encouraged supposedly to not be angry and to smile and just be pretty. And mm -hmm. I think for women, the most beneficial thing for them should be to be more angry. Mm. Because there is a lot of things that we need to be angry about. For sure. So being on your period is actually, or being in that PMS stage is actually a time where it's even recommended to, yeah, listen to that rage and respect it and work with it. Mm -hmm. Again, it's not culturally appropriate for you to be angry, but I think the world can really gain from it. Yeah, and I think this is also something that we that we could support each other in. Yeah. If we, yeah, I mean, you know, like both of these sensations, like pain and rage, there is a lot of fear around it because we, we're not used to allowing them, to trusting them, and then we're afraid of what will happen when we allow them. And we're afraid it might be too much or we will it will rip us apart, it will rip others apart. <laughs> and so I think it's... Uh, I, yeah, I think it's it's great to have support in this. Yeah, to not it's not alone. too much. It's necessary and it's needed, but it's maybe wanted to be silenced by others. Yeah. But, yeah, so what? <laughs> Rage on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm, yeah, thank you for also really um, already bringing a lot of very practical things that people can do. Mm, anything very important to you at the moment that we didn't talk about yet that you would like to address? Um, uh, yeah, another question I'm always being asked is about, but what about nutrition? About, huh. you know, menstrual pain? Mm -hmm. Um I have to say that I feel that we're kind of overusing nutrition sometimes as an excuse. I don't think that whether or not you drink coffee is going to achieve anything. I don't think, you know, obviously coffee is not as healthy and, and so on, but it's just, you know, I feel I see a lot of women, you know, who struggle with um, endometriosis and then they go to all to all these cleanses mm -hmm. and then they feel so frustrated because but why I, you mm -hmm. know, I stopped gluten I stopped mm -hmm. coffee and it's not about that and, it, and sometimes it even like helps you avoid that actual issue the actual issue is the fact that there's this a lot of yeah the, everything that we talked about this collective feminine pain mm -hmm. I don't know that Oh, or at least I've never met a woman that was actually helpful. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I see all these um, discussions on, on Facebook groups, for example, about this herbal remedy or that, or there is no avoidance of the fact that there is a lot of pain. And as, as you mentioned, rage and grief to go through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for sharing your experience with this. So where is a good place to get in touch with you if people are interested? Because you do also work online, right? Yeah, I just maybe Google my name, Daphna with P-H, 
um, Daphne Mavor, and I have a website and everything, and all the details are there. Mm -hmm. So I work with women one-on-one to try and pinpoint what their specific grief or pain talks like. And Mm -hmm. I also do a lot of workshops for women, like for groups of women. And then I always say that we practice on dry land because we're not synchronized. Um, Mm -hmm. So we cannot Mm -hmm. all be on our periods, but I always like to like bring women together. And then we practice on dry land, all these movements and all these pain releasing techniques that I've been describing. And Mm -hmm. then I tell them to go home and practice it by themselves when they, when the time is right. Again, for each woman, it would be in a different time of, the PMS or being on their period. Mm-hmm. Um, and the feedback that I receive is always so beautiful. Yeah. Mm. There is a lot that can be done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm, Daphna, thank you so much for your time and sharing your experience and your knowledge. Thank you so much for creating this platform. Uh, It's very needed. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. As always, I am so curious to hear your thoughts and maybe questions. Did you know that the podcast has an Instagram channel? At Life Embodied Podcast check it out that would also be a a good way to get in touch but of course you could also write me an email my email address is info at katharinaalf.de that's katharina with a th and yeah if you're menstruating i wish you a happy cycle if you're not menstruating i wish you happy cycling with those in your life that are If you like this podcast, then please like it, share it, subscribe to it. It means a lot. And see you back in two weeks.